Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I have... uh... Kind of enjoyed two weeks where I've not preached in the same time. It gets pent up in me a little bit, you know. Uh, two weeks ago, I was on uh, on vacation, and uh, we had not had the chance in, in a while to go off as a family. And someone made that easy for us by providing a, uh, a house at Sunset Beach. So uh, uh, myself and, uh, um, well, I think maybe a total of 12 of us, Becky, probably kept count better than I did. Uh, we were in one house. So if you have 12 family members in one house for a week, you kind of need to come back and have a vacation from vacation. You, un- you understand that? And uh, I got burned up the first day that I was there. Didn't plan on getting burned up out in the sun or anything. I was trying to manage my time. And uh, But a guy beside of me, we started up a conversation and uh, I found out that his... Uh, uh, son was a youth pastor in Raleigh, so we kind of started talking about spiritual things. And he had been through a lot in Vietnam and, and things like that. And he started saying, well, I just can't accept everything the Bible has to say. So I'm thinking, all right, I need to talk to you. And he even invited me. He said, well, well p- pull on over near my canopy, near my tent. So uh, I slide my chair over to talk to him. And I thought it might be a uh, five, 10-minute conversation turned into a 45-minute conversation. So I wound up with sun poisoning. Uh, for part of my vacation while I was there, but I did it for Jesus, you know, uh, talking, uh, talking to him. Uh, and then last week we had the mission report from Guatemala and I, I appreciate uh, all that they did there. And, uh, we need to be praying already for the next trip that they'll be going on, uh, next year. So we're going to pick back up in this series that we're doing entitled, uh, grace is greater. Uh, and as we think about that, that thought, uh, it, it's been evident to me sometimes that we get one dimensional, maybe in our mindset when it comes to thinking about God's grace. And by that, what I mean is this, we, we tend to think about God's grace only in terms of salvation. And we should think about it in terms of salvation because without God's grace, he would not have sent his son for us. He would not have invited us to faith in him. We wouldn't have any hope without Jesus. Amen. Without the grace of God, we would be without hope. So that is a very important component of God's grace that we need to focus upon. But it's also clear to me as I look at the Bible that God's grace uh, applies in other areas that sometimes maybe we don't focus upon his grace so much. For instance, his grace also applies in relationships and how we relate to other people. And that's what we talked about uh, three weeks ago, last time we were in this series, about how God's grace, because we have experienced God's grace as Christians, we need to be willing to offer God's grace to other people. And uh, one thought that I repeated from a book that Kyle Ottoman has written along uh, these same lines was a quote from him that said this, uh, God's grace is not only greater than anything you've done, but God's grace is greater than anything that's been done to you. So we need to allow God's grace to heal our hurts. We need to apply God's grace toward others when they in fact have hurt us. But today we're going to look at another dimension, I think, of God's grace. And that is that God's grace is also greater than the circumstances we may face in life. Well, I want us to read the, the kind of the focal passage out of Hebrews that we've been looking at uh, all in this series. And then we're going to be in these passages of scripture you see in front of you as we move through the, through the message. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the Bible says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Definitely that needs to be applied for our salvation because without his grace, as I said a moment ago, there's no chance or hope for us. But it goes on and maybe puts the grace of God here in the context that the writer was talking about, that God was talking about, when it says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That's what we talked about a couple weeks back when I said we need to practice forgiveness toward other people. We need to practice grace toward other people because if not, if we hold on to our hurts, it's going to allow roots of bitterness to spring up in our lives. Well, the same thing is true about circumstances in life. If we don't trust 
in God's grace as we go through circumstances in life, then also there's this great potential for roots of bitterness to grow up like wild weeds in our lives because we're so upset and frustrated and maybe even angry, defeated, discouraged by the circumstances we face in life. I hope I'm not giving you any new information of where you're going to be scared about tomorrow morning or anything, but have you already figured out that sometimes you face some really bad circumstances in life? Have you figured out that life's not always a cakewalk? That everything's not easy, even for believers? You know, we, we face difficulties and difficult circumstances, and, and we need to choose to focus upon God's grace when we're facing those difficult circumstances. And to be honest with you, you'll see this kind of crop up through the message today. Really, what other choice do you have? If you're facing negative circumstances, you can't just wave a wand over and make it go away. So you can either trust in God's grace or sit around and be upset about the circumstances. And today, I hope we can learn as we go through this message, some ways that that, that you and I can allow God's grace to help us, for us to understand that, that we need to trust God's grace Yes, when it comes to salvation, but we also need to especially trust God's grace when it comes to circumstances in life. We need to learn to trust God anyway. We need to learn to trust God anyhow, no matter what it is that we're facing. Now, if you'll notice in the updates, the place where you can take notes, if you do that week to week, it's a little bit different. There's no sub points this week. There's just kind of some blanks where you can write down some information. So I want to really focus upon four main thoughts today that I think maybe can help us understand that God's grace is greater than our circumstances. Here's the first one. Number one is simply this. By trusting in God's grace in all circumstances, if we'll learn to do that, if we'll make ourselves trust in his grace, no matter what our circumstances is, we can be thankful for those circumstances. We can be thankful for all the circumstances of life if we will learn to trust in God's grace in all circumstances. It can help us to be, to be thankful for the circumstances. Look, look what Paul wrote in Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let me stop just for a minute before I finish reading that. That's easier said than done. Amen? Let's be honest. It's easy for us to say that. Oh, yes, I need to be thankful in all circumstances. But when particular circumstances hit, it's really hard to do that sometimes. He says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's difficult for us to be thankful in all circumstances. It's easy sometimes for us to be thankful when things are going good. After all, you, if you're like me, you kind of put yourself on cruise control when things are going good. I, I find it's when things are going bad that I even need the grace of God more than I need it when things are going good. How about you? We need it all the time, but especially when we're facing difficult circumstances in our life, we need to be sure that we're trusting in God's grace, staying focused upon God's grace instead of just being locked in on the circumstances. Now, let me read the some more verses in front of this and behind it to kind of give us a fuller understanding. In verse 16, Paul wrote these words, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Then he said, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He also says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every evil, from every form of evil. Now, we're going to keep that verse here just for a minute, but, but I want you to focus upon what he said. If you and I will develop the habit or the attitude of rejoicing always, that means you're rejoicing even when things are tough. That means you're rejoicing even when things are bad. And you might say, well, how in the world can I do that? How can I rejoice at all times? How can I rejoice always? Well, I think for Christians, here's the way we see our way through that, where we can rejoice always. You see, no matter what you're going through, at least you're not in hell. Amen? No matter what you're facing in your life, (laughs) if you're a Christian, 
You understand this. God loved you so much, his son died on the cross for you. So no matter what we're going through in faith and life, we ought to be able to find a way through to where we can rejoice irregardless of what it is we're facing if we'll focus upon the right thing instead of focusing upon the wrong thing. He, he says rejoice always. Then he says pray without ceasing. I, I would submit to you if, if I have an attitude of rejoicing as I should and if I am praying as I should, it would be a whole lot easier for me to be thankful in all circumstances. It'll be a lot easier for me to give thanks in whatever I am facing if I will be rejoicing, have an attitude of rejoicing, enjoying my life. And if I'll be praying without ceasing, it will help me to be thankful no matter what the circumstances might be that I'm going through and facing in my life. He, he says, give thanks to to, to be grateful, to actively express gratitude, even to say grace at a meal. And in, just in case you were hoping that that word all really didn't mean all, I'm sorry, it does mean all. It really even means this. The word that's used there in the Greek for in means in a fixed position in a relation of rest as you face anything, all, the whole, no matter what it is. In a fixed position, we're supposed to be giving thanks. In a fixed position, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be grateful, he said. And, and, and back up just a minute uh, to that same verse, uh, please, Greg. Uh, he also said something else that I think we need to pay attention to. He said, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Hold of what's good, abstain from what's evil. All of that, I think, fits together just like a glove. Because if I am rejoicing always, and if I'm praying without ceasing, and if I have a thankful spirit no matter what it is I'm facing, that means that will help guard against me quenching the spirit. If I'm not being grateful and thankful, then I'm being upset, ill, frustrated, angry, and everything else, and that quenches the Holy Spirit in my life when I do those things. If I'm not being thankful, then I may think I don't like what I'm facing in my life and I don't really care what the Bible has to say about it. But he says, don't despise prophecies. Another way for us to look at it in this day and time would be this. Hey, don't despise the word of God. Hold to it when you're facing those difficulties and allow it to help you hold to what's good and abstain from every form of evil. If we would be grateful and thankful in all circumstances, it would help us do all the rest of that. I want to illustrate the word study there just for a minute. He said, give thanks. And, and part of that means to actively express gratitude, even to say grace at a meal. Focus on actively, actively, actively expressing gratitude for a minute. In other words, it's a choice. When I'm going through negative circumstances, I'm not just going to, in my flesh and in my humanity, say, I'm thankful for this. I'm grateful for what I'm going through. That's why as believers, we have to make a conscience choice to where we say, I'm going to actively express gratitude to God in spite of what I'm going through. And you see, if we would be actively choosing to express gratitude. Like I said earlier, you've only got a couple of options. You can drown in your self-pity. You can drown in, 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 in the circumstances that you're facing in life. Or you can, in the spite of the circumstances, say, I'm going to give gratitude to God anyway. That, that's a choice that we have. It even means saying grace at, at a meal. My, my mom was a really good cook. And uh, when I was uh, growing up, I, I even told her once as, as a teenager, I said, Mom, I think you need to open a fried chicken restaurant. We could put Colonel Sanders out of business. And I don't know exactly how she would do it. I know she had fried a little bit and then she'd put it in the oven and kind of finish it off. But always had, in the way she spied, always had just this great crowd. Am I making you hungry yet? I better shut up. You're going to want to leave and go eat before I'm done, aren't you? But most of the time, you know, when I, when I knew mom was fixing something, I could sit down and I could sit and I could be thankful for what I'm having. I remember as a child growing up, uh, the recipe changed a little bit one day, the menu changed a little bit one day and, and we're having beef liver and onions. <laughs> so as a, as a child, I'm thinking, I don't know about that one. 
But also as a child, I learned when we were growing up without a lot of stuff, hey, I better be thankful for pintos and cornbread and anything she put on the table, you know, if we were going to survive and make it anyway. I actually got to the point that I've gone to a restaurant. Some of you still going, you know, I saw some of your faces when I said beef, liver, and onions and everything. I've actually gone to a restaurant where they serve it before and order it now. And, uh, you know, but, but here, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make is that even though I was a little bit skeptical of, of that meal when mama first put it in front of me, I, I, I still ate it and, and it was still useful in my life. And that's the way we need to be with the circumstances of life. In the circumstances of life, you might not like what's spread on the table in front of you. You might think that's something I don't want to eat. That's something that I don't want to face. That's a circumstance I don't want to deal with. But if if we can still approach it with thanksgiving and trusting God in his grace, no matter what the circumstance is, we can have an attitude to where we believe God's grace is greater than our circumstances. To where we can give thanksgiving irregardless of what it is that, that we're facing. Now, you can ask yourself, why and how in the world can I give thanks and be thankful in all circumstances? You see, you see Paul addressed that. He said, because it's the will of God for you. Now, I'm not saying everything you face in life is always God's will. Sometimes you put yourself in a bad situation. Amen? That means you need to repent of it. (laughs) But there are a lot of situations we face in life that we didn't necessarily invite into our life. We didn't necessarily choose. It still comes our way. What you and I need to recognize is this. God is a great enough God. He's using it in our lives for a reason and for a purpose. If you can tell yourself when you're facing a negative circumstance, that, that it is God's will for you. So some words there in, in, in the Greek, the word for is assigning a reason why you can be thankful when you're going through negative circumstances for this is, and that's referring to that thing, going back to the circumstances, whatever the circumstances might be, that thing is the will of God. It's a determination and active choice a special purpose or decree that God himself, the supreme divinity, has chosen for you in Christ. In Christ Jesus for you, in a fixed position of being in Christ. No, no matter what it is you're facing, no matter what it is you're going through, as a Christian, you're never alone. You need to always remember that, that you are in a fixed position in Christ. And that means you can make it through whatever it is, because God has a purpose and a plan in whatever you're facing in your life. Let me use Job for an illustration of that just for a minute. Job, you remember his story. He lost his children. He lost most of his servants. He lost his possessions, which meant his wealth. He lost his health. He's sitting around taking a, more or less a clay knife, a posture, and he's scratching the boils on his body. And I think the Bible implies he lost the love of his wife because she said, why don't you curse God and die? That's a lot of compassion, isn't it? From your wife. Hey, I'm tired of this. Just go ahead and die, Job, and we'll get on with life. I want you to look what that same Job said. But he, talking about God, he knows the way that I take. Job's circumstances didn't surprise God. Your circumstances will not surprise God. God knows the way that you take. And when he's tried me, I'll come out as gold. My foot is held fast to his steps. I've kept his way and I've not turned aside. I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I treasure the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires that he does. And I want you to especially notice what Job says next. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Basically what Job just said this. 
Job just said, everything I'm facing in my life, all the negative stuff that's taking place, my children being killed, my servants being killed, my possessions being hauled away, my health being gone, my wife saying, curse God and die, my friends showing up and accusing me of all kinds of things, saying you must have sinned because this is happening in your life. Job is saying all of that he considers to be an appointment from God. Now, I want to present an argument to you that if you and I would somehow learn to accept our circumstances as an appointment for God and understand he knows the way that we're taking, he knows what we're going through, and he has a purpose and a plan in it where God has us, if we would understand that it might be difficult now, it might not be fun what we're going through, but if we remind ourselves of something Job said right there, that I'm going to come out as his gold. That God is using these circumstances to turn me into his gold. If we would have that mentality when we face the negative circumstances in life, we could face those circumstances a lot easier because we would hold on to the fact that we can be thankful for whatever it is we're going through because God's not done. God isn't working my life. God has a purpose. And all these circumstances are to make me shine more like he wants me to shine. Second thing this morning. By trusting in God's grace, we can boast in our weaknesses when facing the circumstances of life. By trusting in God's grace, we can boast, we can brag about our weaknesses when we're facing the circumstances of life. You see, that goes against the norm. That goes against the grain. That goes against our normal response as human beings. See, we tend to boast about our strength. We tend to boast and brag about our abilities. And doing so is the exact opposite of what we need to do as Christians. Because when I boast about my strength, I'm setting myself up for a fall. Because here's the truth. I can't deal with it and you can't either. But if you delude yourself into believing you can handle whatever circumstances are coming your way, you have set yourself up for a traumatic fall. We even delude ourselves as believers, especially if you listen to the health and wealth group on TV, we delude ourselves as believers to think because we're Christians, there shouldn't be any negative circumstances hit our lives. We shouldn't go through any trouble. We ought to have plenty of money. We ought to have plenty of health. And they'll stand there and they'll smile and they'll grin and they'll tell us that. And, and they'll say, send me a check for 1995. And we're being told as believers, if you're really right with God, you're not going to go through any of that difficulty. God himself said, Job was more righteous than any man on the planet. And look what he went through. It goes against the grain for us to boast in weaknesses because we like to brag about our strength. But instead, the Bible teaches us, Paul says, that what he does and what we need to do is learn to boast in our weaknesses. Because as we boast in the fact that we are weak, when we admit that we are weak and we can't handle it, that's when we begin to understand God's grace is greater than our circumstances. Look at what Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's going to, I want you to understand the context. Paul's not being prideful or boastful in what he's about to say. What he's really doing is kindly, uh, he's kind of being sarcastic with other people that are acting like they're, they're, they're really better than anybody else spiritually. They're better than Paul spiritually. So, so Paul says, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and even says, hey, I'm speaking as a fool. I'm, 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 I'm being foolish in what I'm about to say. He said, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? They're the ones that are bragging. He's saying, well, so am I. Or are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Or are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Now, I want you to notice what he says. I'm talking like a madman. He's, he's, he's not trying to brag and be prideful and saying I'm better than they are. He's showing them how foolish it is for them to say they're better than others. 
And then he says this, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, (laughs) with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received the uh, at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Let me stop just a minute before I finish reading what he said it sounded like Paul didn't get the message from the health and wealth group well Paul surely none of that stuff could be happening to you if you're right with God the apostle Paul who God used to write more the new testament than anyone else the apostle Paul who planted churches all over Asia Minor and he's saying I'm facing all these things And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me and the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, and this is what I want you to catch. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God, the Father, the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Then he goes on to talk about Damascus having to be let down uh, over the wall in a basket trying to escape because they were trying to hunt him down. He used a couple of words I want you to notice. He said, I'm going to boast. I'm going to vaunt. I'm going to glory. I'm going to rejoice in my weakness, in my feebleness of mind or body, in my frailty. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I don't have strength for all these circumstances. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I am impotent as a human being to control all these circumstances around me. That's what Paul said he's going to rejoice about. And you'll see in a minute why he says that. But before we get that far, I, I, want, you to, I want you to watch a little video clip we're going to play. You can go online and see something called TED Talks. Not from a Christian organization. But we're going to play a little video clip of an artist who is in art school. And all of a sudden he started experiencing a disability. And I want you to listen to what he has to say. So when I was in art school, I developed a shake in my hand, and this was the straightest line I could draw. Now, in hindsight, it was actually good for some things, like mixing a can of paint or shaking a Polaroid. But at the time, this was really doomsday. This was, this was the destruction of my dream of becoming an artist. The shake developed out of really a single-minded pursuit of pointillism, just years of making tiny, tiny dots. And eventually, these dots went from being perfectly round to looking more like tadpoles because of the shake. So to compensate, I'd hold the pen tighter, and this progressively made the shake worse, so I'd hold the pen tighter still. And this became a vicious cycle that ended up causing so much pain and joint issues, I had trouble holding anything. And after spending all my life wanting to do art, I left art school, and then I left art completely. But after a few years, I just couldn't stay away from art, and I decided to go to a neurologist about the shake and discovered I had permanent nerve damage. And he actually took one look at my squiggly line and said, well, why don't you just embrace the shake? So I did. I went home, I grabbed a pencil, and I just started letting my hand shake and shake. I was making all these scribble pictures. And even though it wasn't the kind of art that I was ultimately passionate about, it felt great. And more importantly, once I embraced the shake, I realized I could still make art. I just had to find a different approach to making the art that I wanted. Now, I still enjoyed the fragmentation of pointillism, seeing these little tiny dots come together to make this unified whole. So I began experimenting with other ways to fragment images where the shake wouldn't affect the work, like dipping my feet in paint and walking on a canvas. Or in a 3D structure consisting of two by fours, creating a 2D image by burning it with a blowtorch. I discovered that if I worked in a larger scale and with bigger materials, my hand really wouldn't hurt. And after having gone from a single approach to art, I ended up having an approach to creativity that completely changed my artistic horizons. 
this was the first time I'd encountered this idea that embracing the limitation could actually drive creativity. At the time, I was finishing up school, and I was so excited to get a real job and finally afford new art supplies. I had this horrible little set of tools, and I felt like I could do so much more with the supplies I thought an artist was supposed to have. I actually didn't even have a regular pair of scissors. I was using these metal shears until I stole a pair from the office that I worked at. So I got out of school, I got a job, I got a paycheck, I got myself to the art store, and I just went nuts buying supplies. And then when I got home, I sat down and I set myself to test to really try to create something just completely outside of the box. But I sat there for hours, and nothing came to mind. The same thing the next day, and then the next, quickly slipping into a creative slump. And I was in a dark place for a long time, unable to create. And it didn't make any sense because I was finally able to support my art, and yet I was creatively blank. But as I searched around in the darkness, I realized I was actually paralyzed by all of the choices that I never had before. And it was then that I thought back to my jittery hands, embraced the shake. And I realized if I ever wanted my creativity back, I had to quit trying so hard to think outside of the box and get back into it. I wondered could you become more creative then by looking for limitations? What if? I could only create with a dollar's worth of supplies. At this point, I was spending a lot of my evenings in, well, I guess I still spend a lot of my evenings in Starbucks, but I know you can ask for an extra cup if you want one. So I decided to ask for 50. Surprisingly, they just handed them right over, and then with some pencils I already had, I made this project for only 80 cents. It really became a moment of clarification for me that we need to first be limited. Okay. Do you get the point and the reason I played that? The neurologist told him he needed to embrace the shake. And in a similar way, we need to embrace the circumstances of life. Because it's as we embrace the circumstances of life, it's as we are limited by our circumstances that we trust in the grace of God. It's when we stop looking at all the other options. He, he said he had a creative blank time happen in his life where he just couldn't think what he wanted to do, even though he had all these surprises, he, he had all these options. And he said, what if I narrowed it down? You see, that's what we need to do as believers. We need to narrow down all of our options when we're facing the circumstances of life to where our only real option is this. I'm trusting in God's grace being greater than my circumstances. I'm going to boast in my weakness Because it's through my weakness I can really experience God's power. Kyle Allen in his book says this, the more we're able to acknowledge our weakness, the greater our opportunity to experience God's power in our lives. If we act like we're not weak, we're not open to God's power showing up. If we act like we can handle it, that's why we need to boast in our weaknesses. Paul goes on talking about his weaknesses in chapter 12. And I want you to notice the third thing I think can help us understand that God's grace is greater than, than all, of our, all of our circumstances. By trusting in God's grace, we can discover that God's grace is sufficient in the circumstances of life. If I'll trust in his grace, not in myself, not in my ability to make it through the circumstances, if I will trust solely in his grace, I'm going to discover something. His grace is all I need. His grace is sufficient to help me through whatever it is that I'm facing. Look what Paul writes there. He said, so to keep me from being too elated. In other words, he's saying God, in order to keep Paul humble, allowed him to go through something that Paul really didn't like. To keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations. In other words, hey, God's teaching me all this stuff. And to keep me from being lifted up in my pride. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being too elated. Now, no one knows really what the thorn is that he's talking about. Some people, some theologians believe it might have been poor eyesight because in one of Paul's letters, he writes about, see how large a letter I'm, I'm writing uh, here in, in this, the letters that I'm making. But no one knows. The point is, he has something in his life he didn't like. He has something in his life that was a very negative circumstance. 
He, he referred to it as a thorn, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times, because Paul didn't like these circumstances, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that I, that, that it should leave me. But he said to me, here's what God said to Paul. Instead of taking away the circumstance, instead of taking away the thorn in the flesh, here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, that's when I am strong. Let's just see some, some words that he used there. The idea of sufficient, the word sufficient in the Greek language that Paul used, it gives the idea of raising up a barrier. To, to ward off. In other words, here, here's the thought. God was raising up a barrier to keep Paul from seeking solutions anywhere else other than God's grace. God wanted Paul to understand that his grace was sufficient for whatever that thorn in the flesh is. We don't know what it is, but he had a thorn in the flesh. All of us have thorns in the flesh, don't we? All of us have things that we wish weren't there. All of us have circumstances that we wish were not in our lives. And what God really wants to do, instead of always taking the circumstances away, he wants to raise up a wall to keep us from trying to fix the circumstances ourselves, a barrier to where all we can do is understand his grace is sufficient. Where all we can do is understand that his grace is satisfactory, that we can be content, that his grace is enough, that his grace will suffice, it is sufficient. The root word, there's actually a typo there, means to lift up, to take away like a ship uh, anchor being pulled up. Maybe grab an illustration from that word study. (laughs) You and I as believers, we're on the sea of God's grace. We need to pull up our anchor and let God's grace take us wherever it wants to take us. We need to understand that his grace is sufficient to get us through whatever the circumstances are in life. His grace is sufficient because it is through that we experience his power, his force, his miraculous power in our lives. We become mature, complete in weakness because it's through our weakness that we allow the power, the miraculous force of God to rest upon us. And the word literally means to tend upon. Now, that doesn't have the significance for us that it did for them in that day because many of them were still nomadic people and they still lived in tents. And it was like their home. And we like to have our home to flee to for safety. We like to have our home to flee to to get out of the storm. But even if you just talk about a tent for a minute, you're going camping in a tent and that's all you have. You put the tent out there so you can get in out of the elements, you can get in out of the weather. So you can have protection from the bugs and the snakes and everything like that as you zip yourself inside the tent. That's the way we need to view the grace of God. We need to admit we're weak. We need to boast in our weakness, as I said a moment ago. We need to understand it's through our weakness, through our inability, that God shows up with his ability. And we need to allow his power to tent over our lives, to help us as we're facing the circumstances of life, because it's when we admit that we're weak, that we're feeble in any sense. That's when we're really strong, is what Paul said. Our problem is we don't do that. Our problem is we delude ourselves into believing, I can take care of these circumstances. I can make it through with my own ingenuity. I can make it through with my own strength. Or we listen to someone, as I said earlier on TV, telling you, hey, if you're really right with God, you don't, you'll have plenty of money, plenty of health. You know, nothing's going to go bad in your, in your life. And, and we'll listen to them smile, and, and they'll be so confident when they tell us what they're saying, and they're, and, and, and they're a lie from Satan. Look at Paul's life, all he said he faced. And Paul said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because I've discovered something. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is all I need. God's grace is the power that I need in my life to make it through all the negative circumstances in my life. Number four is this. By trusting in God's grace, and this is the the last one, but by trusting 
in God's grace, we can confidently hope in a better future. By trusting in God's grace, not by saying focused on the circumstances, not by staying locked in on all the difficulty, not by being bitter and allow roots of bitterness and weeds to grow up in your life because of the negative things that you don't like. Instead of allowing that to happen in our lives as believers, by trusting in God's grace, we can confidently hope in a better future. I I don't know what you're going through right now or what your negative circumstances might be. But if you're a Christian, I do know this. Those negative circumstances will not always exist. Those negative circumstances will not always be there. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 8. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. In other words, Paul's saying, whatever it is I'm going through, whatever it is you're going through, it does not and can never ever compare with what you're going to experience one day in glory with Christ for all eternity. He gives some background. He says, for the creation... Wakes with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves as believers who have the first fruits of the Spirit... We groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now let me stop for a minute and I'll pick up reading in just a second. I don't have time to give an exposition of all of that passage in Romans 8. But Paul is saying whatever it is we face can't compare to the glory that we're going to experience one day. And then he emphasizes it by saying this. Whenever Adam and Eve chose sin, all of creation was affected by the fall. And he uses a word, a phrase there in the Greek that we don't have time to go to. I didn't even put up my notes because I knew we wouldn't have time. But he uses a phrase that more or less says this. All of creation is standing on tiptoes, trying to peer over, longing to see what we're going to look like one day. When we look like Jesus, when the curse is removed, in all creation, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And when he appears, we'll be like him. All creation that's underneath the strain of the curse right now, they're longing, they're looking over, waiting to see it happen. And it says, we're eagerly waiting waiting for it also. Then he goes on. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that amazing that when we are so distraught, we can't even put our prayers into words. Thank God the Holy Spirit of God is praying for us. And he who searches the hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In a very familiar passage, sometimes people maybe take it a little bit out of context, I think. But anyway, it says, and we know that those who love God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get every whim and everything you want in life. It's according to his purpose. Did you see that? Let's keep reading, though. Let's keep reading. For those whom he foreknew... If you're a Christian, God looked down through time and he knew you before you were ever born. (laughs) Before you were ever gleaming your daddy's eye, he knew you. Before your mother ever conceived you, all-knowing eternal God knew you. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. As believers, that's our destiny. We're predestined one day to be exactly like Jesus. 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. And then I want you to notice this. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you notice that all that is past tense? God has called us. God has justified us. If you're a Christian, you're just like you've never sinned as far as God's concerned. And God is so sure that one day you're going to be with him in glory. He looks at it it as though you are already glorified in his presence today. So whatever the circumstances are you face in your life, You need to have a confident hope, an expectation, a confident expectation. You need to anticipate with confidence what it will be one day. Quit staying so focused upon the way things are now and look to what it will be one day. Think how much better our lives would be if we will quit allowing our circumstances to drown us in defeat and discouragement. And instead, we train ourselves to say, no matter how bad it is, I know what it's going to be like one day. Your circumstances might not change tomorrow. Your circumstances might not change next week. Your circumstances might not change for the rest of your life. But if you're a child of God, there's coming a day that all those negative circumstances will not even be a memory upon the plane of eternity. And you'll never, ever, ever worry about those circumstances again because you're going to be in his glorious presence and with patience right now in the midst of our circumstances with a cheerful hopeful endurance we need to wait for what will come one day and keep our focus upon that not our focus upon all the junk god's grace is greater than our circumstances it's a lot easier for some of us to say right now Some of us have family members that's here that's probably in the process of dying with cancer. Some of you are facing traumatic things in your finances and in your life or maybe in relationships. But here's the deal with it. (laughs) If you know Christ as your Savior, quit staying focused on the circumstance. Instead, be grateful in all circumstances. Give him thanksgiving in all circumstances. Boast in your weakness because it's when you boast in your weakness and you understand that his grace is sufficient. You can make it through whatever the negativity is, whatever the bad stuff is you're facing because you recognize his grace is greater. His grace is sufficient to get you through whatever it is. If you'll quit focusing just upon the negative circumstance that's in your mind and in your pathway. And if you'll understand, one day you won't even remember it. One day it's not going to be anywhere in view. One day, in glory with God, you'll forget about every negative circumstance you ever faced in this life. Why not... Allow that to help you make it through the negative things that you face now. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we act like we're so self-sufficient. When we act like we can handle the circumstances. Forgive us, Lord, when we allow the circumstances to make us so despondent and depressed and discouraged maybe even angry and frustrated, that it brings about roots of bitterness in our lives. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace that offers salvation to us. But Father, help us also to apply that same grace to the circumstances of life that we face. Change our mindset. Change our hearts. Give us gratitude to where we can rejoice always. To where we can pray without ceasing, to where, to where we can, can be thankful in all the circumstances of life that we face. Help us to recognize it's okay to be weak. It's okay to admit that we can't handle it, that we can't do it. 
Because it's as we recognize our weakness that we turn and we focus and we embrace the faith that we ought to have in you and your strength. Father, help us to recognize your grace is always sufficient. Not just for our eternity, but for every day, every moment, every situation in life. And Father, we thank you for the eternity that we have promised in Christ. Help us to look beyond the circumstances to a time when all the circumstances will be forgotten. With just one glimpse into the eyes of Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Christ as Savior. God, I pray that you speak to them. That you draw them to yourself. That you help them to understand their only hope is Christ. And Father, those of us that know that, those of us that have trusted in Jesus, help us to settle today that we also understand our only hope is in you. Even as we live in this life, as we face negative circumstances or problems and troubles, God, help us to trust in you and understand your grace is sufficient. For it's in Christ's name we pray. you do not know Christ as your Savior, don't think that you have to leave like that. You're recognizing a need of a Savior is actually a, the first step for the best thing that can happen in your life. If you'll just admit you need a Savior, that you can't save yourself. And if you'll trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you don't know Christ and you feel the Holy Spirit pulling you and drawing you to come forward, we invite you to come during this song and we'll have someone to pray with you, to spend some time with you, even after the service, to be sure you understand what it means to trust Christ as Savior. But I know some of you as believers have circumstances right now. Some that I don't know anything about. I want you to understand God's grace is greater than that circumstance. God's grace is sufficient for whatever it is you're going through. And we invite you to come and pray. And ask God to help you with whatever the circumstances might be. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.